Just before we get things underway, uh, a quick reminder, I am looking for your suggestions, comments and views on the kind of thing I should be doing in future editions of this podcast, please go to the9pmedic.com slash the survey because it's a survey, the9pmedic.com slash the survey. I'm, I'm getting some, some great feedback already, which I'm already starting to take into account in my planning, but you have until the end of June uh, 2023 to, to do all that, the9pmedic.com slash the survey. Uh, and now on with the podcast, yeah? The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, politics, a platypus, and adult themes. Wednesday, the 21st of June, 2023. Happy solstice. Today, I'm joined by my very good friend, Snarky Platypus, to talk about everything from food to conspiracy theories to Blacktown the Gathering. That's a thing. Quite a lot about food, though. Uh, so let's get on with it. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. This is the 9pm Nazi Goring Makes the Merlion Sad with Snarky Platypus. Yes, today my special guest is someone I've known for years, a very good friend, Snarky Platypus. Hello. Hello. Now, you've only just returned to the socials after a two-year gap, and it's been that long since you're on this pod, so we'd Hmm. better introduce you properly. Now, your profile says, a platypus of many talents, he slash him, uh, gay flag, uh, Chinese, well, comma, Chinese flag, Indonesian flag by ancestry, uh, comma, Australian flag by birth, comma, politics, food, pop music, shitposting and women's basketball, not born in 1945 uh, because it says you were born on the 17th of August 1945. And do you understand the significance of the date or not? I understand the significance of that. Are you going to uh, say any more about that? You could explain maybe. Kind of two. I can explain. Yes, good. Well, 17th of August 1945 is the day that Indonesia achieved independence from its Dutch. Oh, no, not, not, not achieved. Oh, okay. I thought that was. Um... They declared independence. Oh, declared. Yes. <laughs> they had a war, remember? <laughs> oh, oh, yes. They declared <laughs> independence. There was a very brutal war. Well, not brutal, but. I mean, oh, what, all, war, all wars are all brutal. Wars are brutal. All wars are brutal. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They, they had a war over it. So. Oh, okay. So they de- declared independence and the Dutch colonial masters had a slight disagreement about that. And they had a four-year war about it. And if people want to know about that, go to the Time Ghost TV channel on YouTube. They have a fabulous little The Indonesian War of Independence year-by-year series, six episodes, I think it is. You will learn stuff. And you'll see some archival footage of some hot young Dutch soldiers. Being blown up. <laughs> Being blown up. That's a thing. Now, we obviously need to introduce you properly because you haven't been on the pod for a right. while. Um, I think if you can tell me five things we need to know about you. Five things. Yeah. I'm snarky. <laughs> <laughs> 
Cozy up sack. Okay. And you're a platypus. Yes. That's two, right? No, I'm not letting you get away with that. (laughs) What? What? No, 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 no. Okay, you are snarky. People who follow you on Twitter as snarky platypus will obviously know that you can be snarky. But I'm looking at you now. I've seen platypus in – well, I haven't seen them in the wild. I've seen them in zoos. I've seen them in videos. You're not. I'm not a platypus. Okay, explain the flags then. Tell me about the flags. There's, what, the flags. The flags. It's very straightforward, right? You know, there's a gay flag. It's a queer flag. A Chinese well, flag. A, well, I mean, it's not. It's not the most up to date queer flag, but you know, but that's not available on obviously on as an emoji. Yeah, it's not. Not yet. Isn't anyway. it just? No. Yes, but um, yeah. Oh, these cunts. But yes, but yes, I am a gay man. So there you go. So yeah, um, yeah. A gay cis man, just to clarify. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, the flags, obviously, you know, so. You know, I'm of well, ethnicity. I'm, I'm I'm of Chinese ethnicity, but mm-hmm. but my family was born in Indonesia mostly. So, yep. um, so as opposed to a Polish ancestry in distress. Yes, that's that's, <laughs> that's a flag joke, people. Yes, yes. you well, either well, get it or you don't. Yeah. But yes, so um, I guess to I guess to clarify the ancestry because it does actually confuse a little people when I try to understand it. So my um. So my great grandparents migrated from China to Indonesia probably in the late nineteenth century. Right. So, yep. Yeah. So we are Chinese ethnicity, but we are yes, born in Indonesia and like I don't speak any Chinese language, but I can understand Bahasa reasonably well. So that, yeah. 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 Oh, okay. You you understand Bahasa more than I thought you did. Well, just enough to um understand by drugs, oh, um, no, by food. I understand what my parents are saying about me when they want to kind of talk about <laughs> me behind their backs. So. I'm guessing your parents are like so many Asian parents that they speak in a non-English language, imagining that you don't understand what they're saying about you. Okay, so this is the thing, right? So, um, so they have several languages they can speak in, right? So, um, right. So, Indonesian is their default language because, um, so my parents don't share the same Chinese dialect. They speak oh, different Chinese dialects. Right. Yes. So, yeah. um, so they're speaking Indonesian to each other normally, but kind of, um, I think. After a while, they started to understand that kind of I understood Indonesian or Bahasa quite well. So they would speak in Chinese dialects to each other whenever kind of they wanted to speak about me. But kind of they didn't realise that kind of I don't necessarily understand what they're saying. But of course, tone and sort of context, you know, you can generally understand what people are saying. Well, <laughs> this is this is the thing, and I, I know I've told you this story before, but back, you know, when I had my first proper boyfriend. He mm. played table tennis with a local team, which mm. had a lot of young Vietnamese guys is it, mm. in it. And, and we're going back to a time when those guys were relatively fresh off the boat refugees mm. in Australia. And we would sometimes go round there after table tennis matches on Saturday and the Vietnamese grandmother in the universal language of grandmothers would indicate that us young lads need needed to eat food mm. and eat more food. Mm. And that was my introduction yeah. to Vietnamese food, was from an actual proper grandmother making stuff and telling us we needed to eat food. And she she and us, like, we didn't have a language in common. Yeah. Beautiful thing. Okay, yeah. so we've explained the flags. We've explained snarky. Three more to go. Right. You probably should have prepared this. Yes, I probably should have. <laughs> You could have left out the segment. 
Mate, well, we can edit out the very long silence which is about to ensue. <laughs> adjectives. Do you want adjectives? I don't. Well, anything. Adjectives, nouns, adverbs can be good. <laughs> That's right. But, so we just need three more that will help us understand you. I notice. Well, well, well I noticed you, that the shirt I... you're wearing. Yeah. Reads nasty pig. Which has nothing to do with anything, really. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll just explain the interest in my profile. How about that, then? Okay, okay. It says, to repeat, oh, we've done the ancestry and stuff and by birth, yeah. politics, food, pop, music, shit posting, and women's basketball, not Oof. born in 1945. Well, have you explained the last bit? What? Not, well, we, we have already explained it, right? Yeah. So the rest. <laughs> politics, okay. food, pop, music, shitposting, okay. and women's basketball. So, you know, I'm obviously interested in politics. You know, um, you know, anyone who follows my Twitter account will know I'm quite, I guess, you know, left-wing in kind of my politics. But, yep. yep. Kind of, even though I'm, I was brought up on the North Shore, so it's a very kind of a very, a very interesting. The, the North Shore of Sydney. Yes, and yes, the North Shore of Sydney, yes. Well, I suppose I should say that, but, of course, Melbourne doesn't have a North Shore. Adelaide doesn't have a North Shore. Vancouver does, yeah, yeah, but no, I was not. I was not. I was not brought up in Vancouver. So anyway, so. okay. Yep. Women's basketball. Women's basketball. Yeah. So um, yeah, kind of um, I can't really explain. So I love basketball generally. You know, I I even watch men's basketball sometimes. Strangely <gasps> enough, I know horrible. <laughs> but, yeah, it's um, only one of the most popular sports on the planet. Yeah, I know, especially among Asians. But blah blah blah. But um, <laughs> yeah. But Fuck I know Asians. Um, so. I've been interested in basketball ever since I was like nine, no, women's basketball since I was nine or 10. So I guess my first women's basketball memory is that um, I, I remember watching on the ABC when they used to show it. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I watched the grand final between, um, I remember the team, it was the Sydney Flames back in 93, I was 10. So, um, um, and yeah, you can work out my birth, my date of birth from that anyway. But, um, but um, I was 10 and Sydney versus Perth. And yes, I was watching the WML grand final on the ABC and I was just, I mean, I play basketball socially, so kind of, you know, and NBA, but kind of, I don't know, I can't really explain it. I just become very interested in women's basketball. The style's a little bit different from the men, obviously. But um, Can you expand on that? Because what's what's the difference? So I have spoken yeah. with someone, not on the pod, but yeah. in the past about uh, tennis yeah. and why men's tennis and women's tennis yeah. is a different yeah. thing. Tell us about basketball. What's the difference there? Okay, so I guess one of the key differences between men and women's basketball is that um, so men – play what they say is above the rim, right? So men obviously <laughs> jump a little bit higher. They're a bit more oh, athletic. Okay. I was wondering where that was going. <laughs> a little bit stronger. I know what you're <laughs> saying, but let's move on. <laughs> but, yes. So, you know, um, like men dunk, right? Like they, 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 they um, you know, um, I assume your audience know what a slam dunk is in general. So kind of, but um, women can dunk, but not very often. In fact, it's quite a rare event. And that actually does kind of, so, I guess you could say that the game is a little bit less athletic, but that means that the style is a little bit different and kind of, um, yeah. I mean, I enjoy kind of women's basketball a little bit more because the style is different and it's, yeah, it's just something that appeals to me a little bit more because there's a little bit more, I guess, kind of strategy involved kind of. Um, oh, okay. because Because a lot of the men's basketball, a lot of the players often resort to kind of men going, I guess, what they call one-on-one on, one on one, kind of. Kind Shirt of like, fronting. Well. Is it? In a basketball sense, <laughs> yeah, but kind of. No, like, I don't mean like in yeah. a, you know, a Abbott way. fucking Abbott sense, <laughs> yes. but it is. It's much more aggressive one-on-one. Yeah, on and one. kind of, and like, you know, when the clock's winding down, you will 
fair men often like dribbling the basketball against another defender and kind of all the other defenders clear out. So kind of um, they actually try to what they call isolation. Kind of, and if your viewers interested, they can they can Google it. Really, it's kind of you know isolation and kind of a lot of that kind of you get a lot of that a lot less of that in women's basketball. It's a lot more system based kind of um, to get your players free to score. Kind of, there's a lot more strategy in my opinion. Anyway, uh, we can uh, no, this is arguable, right? But um, but the women, I guess, I guess there's a little bit more, I guess, tactical, I guess, brilliance required in my opinion, and kind of, yeah, there's just a little bit of differences in style and kind of just there's also a lot less ego in kind of, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that never happens in men, yeah, the women does it, yeah, no. We're not going to get to five, are we? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, we can go through some of the other items on, on, on the profile if you want. No, sure. All right, food. Well, I, mean, I will come to that, yeah. actually. We will come to that, yes. So I was trying to work out how to refer to you Yeah. once we get past snarky platypus. Right, yeah. And I thought, you know, we had ScoMo for Scott Morrison and Bojo for Boris Johnson but if I go snarky platypus, it goes snapla, which is sounds very convincing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that doesn't work. So I'm just no. going to call you snarky. Right. Well, thank you. Yes. And while we're talking about Indonesia, um, I want to say today, uh, the 21st of June, happy birthday to Joko. While we're doing those things, Jokowi. Joko Widodi. Uh, yeah, his 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 full name. You know, um, yeah, cause, yeah. Because uh, you refer to Indonesians by the first name, right? The, Oh, Jocko is the name. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was uh, Jocko seen, with Dodo. Right? Yeah, jo- I know Jocko with Dodo, but I have seen him referred to as something. Yeah, jo- anyway, happy birthday, happy sixty-second um, birthday to Jocko Widodi, the seventh president of Indonesia, and also today, happy seventy-third birthday to John Paul Young, one of Australia's greatest pop stars, even though he's. Scottish, Australia. <laughs> okay, I can see looking at you that love is not in the air. No, no. I mean, um, I do remember Strictly Ballroom, and that's kind of you know. I'm well, that's where you came in later. Yes, I, yes, yes. I'm old enough to have seen it the first yes. time round. Yeah, I've I've seen the countdown footage. So. I'll I'll link uh, something for the old people. Old people will know, and it's also. Happy 123rd birthday to the Boxer Rebellion, which kicked off this day in 1900 when China formally declared war on the United States, Britain, Germany, France and Japan as an edict issued from the Empress Dowager Cixi. I mean, that's quite it's quite a historic moment, you know, given what yeah. happened afterwards, you know, kind of. We're not going to cover that. No, no. well, no, no. In this podcast, no, we can't yeah, do the box that, or You could have a whole episode based on we, that. And, 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 and we'd have to look up facts. Yes, Because yes. <laughs> I don't know how many facts I can remember about the box of rebellion. Yeah, I think I think, I think think viewers just need to remember that it was, it was important. And viewers? Kind of, yeah. What? Thank you, viewers. <laughs> the listeners. Listeners. Sorry. It's a podcast. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Now, Snarky, you and I decided that uh, one of the segments when you and I get together would yep. be for you to uh, bring to us uh, important news from Southeast Asia. Yes, of course, definitely. Uh, what do we have today? 
Okay, so today we have the very important news that um, so in the um, the island state of Singapore, so they um, so Coldplay's touring there. And Coldplay, yeah, Coldplay, yes. Uh, I remember them. Yes, so do I. And kind of um, they're they're a bit dated now, I guess, but you know they're still popular among Gen X and Gen Y people. But um, <laughs> how 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 very diplomatic of this, <laughs> but. Coldplay are still very popular in Singapore. So um, they've sold out four shows in Singapore. Four. Four. Yes, four. Four shows in Singapore. Singapore. They're yeah. the fifth. They've arranged for a fifth. So right. appara- they've apparently got a million people on the waiting list. To get tickets? Yes. For fucking Coldplay? Yes, in Singapore. Uh, now, I wish to remind right. listeners that the current population, as of Monday the 19th of June, based on um, the Worldometer elaboration of the latest UN data... We haven't prepared this segment at all. The current population of Singapore is 5,986,253. You are telling me that one-sixth of the population of Singapore is on the waiting list for Coldplay tickets. Well, I mean, what else do they have to do there, really? (laughs) Food's all right. They can catch the MRT? (laughs) Yes, they can. (laughs) <laughs> Food in subways. <laughs> yeah, you, you can go to shopping malls. What else can you do in Singapore? You can look at the Merlion. The laser shows. The laser shows from the top of the Multiple thing. laser shows. At, so, at um, the Merlion. Gentle oh, listener, I, I have only been to Singapore like outside the airport once and – the Merlion is the most disappointing fucking national monument in the history of the universe. So I feel I need to explain, I guess, the Merlion a little bit more, <laughs> I guess. So, yeah. um, so the Merlion. Are, are, you, are you about to become a, a Singapore apologist? Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> I never know since when have I been a Singapore apologist ever. So, <laughs> but, um, Unencumbered as it is by democracy. Yes. Sorry, it's it's Asian it's Asian style democracy. Remember, Asian uh, style. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We can do that. Yeah, we have to do another episode about Thai <laughs> yes, electoral yes, politics because that Southeast, Southeast Asian politics is interesting. But anyway, so it um, is. so the Merlion, right? So, yeah. So the Merlion is in Sentosa Island, which is south of Singapore, right? So Sentosa Island is like no, it's not. It's right there on the fucking bay at the Marine. No, it's in Sentosa Island. Oh, there's another Merlion. I just oh, I no. just saw the little one. No, no, um, no. <laughs> oh, no wonder I was fucking disappointed. Yes, yes, I'm sorry, I'm still going it wrong here, but <laughs> it's not the first time. Yes, no, the Merlion is in Sentosa, which is a resort island in South Singapore. It's like a sea, a yeah, big I've been theme park. To Sentosa, that's where the golf course is. Yeah, there is the golf course. Yeah, that's, that's I've, I've been to Sentosa yeah. for the golf course because I went there for the Singaporean Open. Because, as you know, I'm a huge golf fan. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was on the um, tab of a certain large international conglomerate, and anyway, yeah, we, we we just sat in their corporate box and got filthy drunk, and yeah. Well, what else is there to do at a golf, really? Or, or <laughs> it's in Tosa. Yes, but yes, in Tosa. Yes, I mean, I'm sure some of the listeners have been to Sentosa because oh, uh, because, because, because what else do you fucking do when you're in Singapore, really? So <laughs> there's there's a proper Merlion. In Sent- on yeah, Sentosa. Yeah, very big Merlion in Sentosa, yes. Oh, 
Oh, because I'd only seen the one on the bay by the shopping mall. I opposite. am not familiar with what you speak of. So, um, you, you don't know that one? No, I don't know. Okay, I'll I'll link to it. Yeah, but it's it's about no. the height of one and a half, maybe two humans. Yeah, and it's in that little like that Marina Bay Sands. You know where that new result thing is looks like. Yeah. A, I am, I am unfortunately familiar with Marina Bay Sands. So. Yeah, the thing that is essentially a surfboard on top of cricket stumps uh, as a hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, that, the little bay by that, by the shopping mall, there's yeah. this little concrete merlion that's vomiting water into the bay and everything. Oh, oh right. so that's not it. No, I know. Um, there was actual, oh, there no, was actual a merlion in Fintosa. That's one I'm, oh, I'm referring oh, to. okay. I'm going to look it up. Hang on. Yeah. Oh, well, that's much better. Well, Ish. <laughs> as good as a merlion can be, I guess. So. Yeah, well, you know, uh, it, no, it, it actually looks like it's been crafted by someone who's seen a merlion and know what it, knows what it looks like. I mm. mean, I know it's a mythological thing, but, you know, it yeah, actually. But, but it's something that they really push for, for Sentosa and kind of, I mean, given what Sentosa actually has, kind of, I, I guess I can understand it. You know, it's like a universal studio theme park there, but whatever. So, you know, it's been demolished. Has it? Okay. From South China Morning Post, um, this is from 2019, nostalgia in China as Singapore prepares to demolish Sentosa Merlion. Giant lion-headed statue will make way for corridor linking north and south of Ireland in a $65 million redevelopment. That, that's, that's so Singapore. That's very Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> So why is China having a sook? <laughs> the cultural value of the Merlion. <laughs> it's bullshit, though. Well, I mean, I mean, there are a lot of tensions between. Okay, the Merlion, a mythological creature with the body of a lion and the tail of a yeah. fish. So that's a thing. Uh, Quek, I don't know who Quek is, but Quek said a new figurehead was being considered for Sentosa, but he did not elaborate. Well, I mean, there are a lot of tensions between PRC and Singapore generally, I think. So maybe oh, well, no, no, there's tensions between PRC and every fucking world. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, and this is it, uh, wiki.sg, under the subheading Chinese netizens, the announcement of Sentosa Merlion's demolition on Weibo, which is China's Twitter-like service, attracted 90 million views and drew over 8,000 comments by 23rd September 2019. Merlion fans from China also left comments on the WeChat service sharing their fond memories at the Sentosa Merlion. On the other hand, some users highlighted that the Merlion's demolition was, quote, a domestic affair of Singaporeans and Chinese netizens should not be too bothered by it. I'm just surprised that the Merlion had kind of that, that cultural significance in PRC because, you know, it's just a, just a statue of a lion. Welcome to this Merlion-based podcast. Uh- <laughs> Visit Singapore <laughs> for, yeah, for the, for the non-existent Merlion. Yeah. The fucking Merlion. Coldplay. What do you think of Coldplay? They've collaborated with some good artists. (laughs) 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 Well, they have with Rihanna and Beyonce and 
BTS, you know, as you know, arguably, That's true. They, arguably BTS, three, a the very greatest good, band in the history of the world. A very good trio of pop stars, I would think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I tried to think of Coldplay songs and every one that came up in my head was actually a James Blunt song. Same shit. <laughs> <laughs> but only one of them is a shit poster on Twitter. <laughs> yes. Better than Coldplay, I think. So. Well, not musically, but as a shit poster. So. Uh, lovely. Let's have another segment. Snarky, I have got something very special for us to talk about now. I bought on eBay this wonderful little booklet. Um, listener, go to the website. Oh, there's pictures of it. It's called 1966 Rice Recipes from the Rice Marketing Board Cookery Bureau of New South Wales. Now, someone said on Twitter, the idea of a cookery bureau has different meanings today. Uh, but this has been prepared, as I say, by the Rice Marketing Board of New South Wales, and it's how to um, how to cook things um, using Sun White Rice, which is produced by the Rice Growers Cooperative Mills Limited in New South Wales. Now I know you like rice. I love rice too. Oh, who doesn't love rice? Well, there are people. Yeah, no, I know. No. I I know. Um, so uh, it, it opens with the words that Margaret Fulton, who's Woman's Day cookery editor, says, let this recipe booklet be your gateway to rice cooking with the international touch. So did she use a rice cooker? No, the, no, no, no. What? This is Australia in 1966. There is no such thing as a rice cooker. Okay, I think this is where we need to start. Right. They, they propose two ways to cook rice. And they yeah. do say, yeah. look, cook rice and have yeah. pre-cooked rice yeah. in your fridge. Yeah. That's a thing, absolutely. So they have fluffy rice and pearly rice. Yes, I mean, those are distinctions which make sense to anyone, really. Especially if they're from Asia. So here's <laughs> fluffy rice, mm -hmm. which will be light, plump, separate grains, easiest to cook. Yep. So you add... A level dessert spoon of salt to eight cups of boiling water. What? And then gradually add one cup of rice. Boil rapidly uncovered for 12 to 15 minutes. And this is the next bit which you will love and, and Uncle Roger will love. Strain through a colander or large strainer without rinsing. The rice dries out into three cups of large, white, fluffy grains. Yes, like magic. <laughs> like magic. Okay. I, I will link to, I mean, if you know, uh, the wonderful Malaysian-British comedian Nigel Ong, um, his character Uncle Roger became massively famous because of his paying out white people and their terrible cooking of rice and fried rice. Um I will link to that. Um, as he says, the way to cook rice is put rice in a rice cooker and press play. <laughs> like that's I mean, um, my first issue here is kind of like, why are you adding salt to the rice? Kind of it's not necessary. Ah, uh, 
Okay, so there's a couple of reasons for this. One is that if water is salted, its boiling temperature goes a little bit higher, you know, above 100 Celsius to 101, 102. I don't know. Or... If it's Western cooking, you just add salt to everything. Well, I, well, I, I know it's this. called seasoning. I know this, and yeah, and, and I think it's barbaric, but anyway. So, um, yeah. Anyway, okay. So, pearly rice. Yeah. Okay, this is actually this is a thing I was taught way back because we didn't have rice cookers, but this is how you do it. Yes. By basically simulating a rice cooker, right? And this produces clinging, glossy coated grains full of flavor. Okay, to make pearly rice, I don't know why it's pearly. Perhaps named after the Pearl River. Yeah, if only. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Okay, so you add water to one inch above the rice in the saucepan. Okay, you then boil it rapidly with the lid off until steam holes appear in the rice, and then you lower the heat to the lowest point, put the lid on, leave for 20 minutes for the steam to complete the cooking. I mean, that is what a rice cooker does. Yeah. But the rice cooker has an automatic mechanism to know through yeah. that wonderful magnetic bottom thing to know when it's done, whereas here you have to kind of figure it out. Uh. 1966 in Australia, ladies and gentlemen, dear listener. I This is a thing that is problem, problematic for me. Because I want to say ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, but that is so binary gendered. Thing, just, just but I want to go. It, it it echoes a time, and I want it yeah. to echo a style. But it in the twenty first century, it does feel wrong. Well, I think it is wrong. I mean, kind of, it's, you know, just you know, people. <laughs> well, people, people. I'm popping there a bit. That's terrible. Well, people, well, people. I know. Okay, Indonesia. You said. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I will say this is a lovely little, I think it's 16-page booklet. Full of product a, placement? Yeah, yeah. Oh, full. Product placement from all of the important rice-related food, Kellogg's rice bubbles, Tongala condensed milk, Green Seas chunk-style tuna from which you can make Green Seas tuna chop suey. <laughs> what? With rice. There's no noodles in it. There's top three with tuna. What? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I mean, top three is bullshit anyway. I mean, kind of no, like- no, it's a perfectly good American Chinese food. It was invented in San Francisco. I repeat, it's bullshit anyway. But um, <laughs> but tuna with canned tuna. <laughs> and ginger. <laughs> it makes it better, obviously. Okay. Um, there is also Kraft Bavarian beef crust pie using craft processed cheddar with the slogan craft cheddar tops everything if only <laughs> i mean like literally any other cheese is better than craft <laughs> do they still make that processed cheddar i assume they they do but even alley cheese is better than craft cheddar so. oh it's quite good what do you want to what? okay so <laughs> now there is keen's dutch oven rice curry casserole and there is also Keen's Raja chicken curry with golden rice. Now, Keen's curry is a fabulous thing, and in Australia it was made in Tasmania, although it was made elsewhere in the empire. 
I've still got the can. I still plan to make you proper Australian curried sausages. Yeah, that's not a thing. Um, okay, uh, who else is in here? Uh, there is... Ah, oh, the main one, Sunbeam Fry Pants. Now, I showed you a picture of this before, and I'll put it on the website. In, I think, the 60s, maybe the late 50s, Sunbeam started making these big square electric fry pants, and they became a thing, and maybe we can do a whole episode later about a thing that was called the egg combo. Mm-hmm. I don't know where to start with egg combo. So they've got two recipes here, Sunbeam Nasi Goreng, and, uh-huh. <laughs> and Sunbeam Tahitian steak with rice gorguin. Because, you know, there were obviously kind of cows just roaming all, all, all over Tahiti, you know. It's kind of that's where I, that's where I get steak from, obviously. From Tahiti? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay, I want to I wanna read you the um, nasi goreng recipe. Of course. Okay, serves for temperature 380 degrees, these are in Fahrenheit, and then 220 to 260, time 25 to 35 minutes. Okay, we need, oh, it's all in, in freedom units, one and a half pounds of chicken, a large onion, and about four cabbage leaves, half a cup of celery, three tablespoons of oil, just oil, yep. like petroleum, I suppose, clover garlic, one cup of sun white rice, and to go with that, either prawn or potato crisps, yep. banana and pineapple fritters, what? fried eggs. <laughs> this banana and pineapple fritters, nasi. What? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> anyway, move on. <laughs> Rich fruit chutney. What? <laughs> One and a half cups of chicken stock, half a pound of prawns, three tablespoons of soy sauce, three tablespoons of sultanas. Anyway. (laughs) A teaspoon of mixed spice. Now, mixed spice is a very white person thing. Let me just find out what is in mixed spice. Oh, cinnamon, allspice, and nutmeg. So it's it's basically... Cinnamon and fried rice? Really? (laughs) It's two-thirds of five spice. What's wrong with cinnamon? Well, not by itself. (laughs) Or as a dominant spice. Here we go from DaringGourmet.com, homemade British mixed spice. This is what we need. Mm-hmm. I, I'm using the internet now. Oh, don't fucking tell me all this shit. Just give me the ingredients. Cinnamon, allspice, nutmeg, cloves, ginger, coriander, ground coriander seed, and mace. So can I explain to you, I guess, what you know, I guess what I understand to be the general principles of fried rice or Nazi goreng or you can. Should we do that before I, after I tell you what's happening here? Perhaps you tell it first yes. and then I'll tell yes. you what's happening here. Yes, okay. I have cooked fried rice by myself, like, literally once. But <laughs> I, I should point out here, yes, that, that Snarky is not the greatest cook in the world. His father is. Yes. And, mate, we've actually been talking about getting him on to talk yeah. about stuff. Stuff, yes. Because he's mad. Yes. But anyway, so um, the stuff I've learned from my father about nasi goreng. Right, so it's kind of um, so first you kind of you know you obviously you use a wok and not a fucking square pan, so you know, but that goes without saying. So, but um, you can include most ingredients in fried rice. You know, it's kind of it's one of those dishes where you can just 
empty the refrigerator yeah. into yeah, a wok because it's it's street food. It's not it's not designed to be kind of you know yeah it's it's straightforward food. Street food you can put in anything, but obviously obviously there are some ingredients that, that go better with others. But you should chop them up as small and as finely as possible because it'll make walking it up easier, right? So yeah. not, not chunks of stuff in fried rice or nothing going that doesn't work. Okay, so you're yeah. referring to the the illustration, which will yes. I think perhaps be the illustration for the podcast episode. Yes. In fact, now I've decided it will be, which shows these large lumps of things. Now, I grew up with one of these big square sunbeam fry, square fry pans, and these chunks of chicken they're putting into it are maybe two to three centimetres square because they say remove the meat from the chicken and chop into bite-sized pieces because your mouth is fucking enormous, obviously, and then make stock and things. <sighs> Back to you explaining that because I'll come to this in a minute. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, so you, you chop up your ingredients as small as possible and you put it in a wok and, you, and yeah, you just fry it. And <laughs> kind of, you know, it's, I mean, it's not that complicated but kind of um like – there is an art to what ingredient to include. So, like, like sultanas and currants. Like, what? What the? What the hell? Like, kind of. What? Why are you doing that for? Or even pineapple. I'm not. I mean, that's probably personal preference. But I'm not a big fan of pineapple in any. Yeah, I, that's a whole discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in fried, I mean, I can tolerate pineapple with something in my fried rice. No, no, no pineapple. You you can add a fried egg with fried rice, but afterwards, right? So you you know, adding egg to things is fine. But kind of um, well. You can, well, sl- you, can, you can slice up egg in your fried rice if you want, but you can have a whole egg added to your fried rice. Well, egg fried yeah. rice is a whole yeah, thing, yeah, it is, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Hello, Uncle Roger. Yes. Um, yes. yes. <laughs> his, whole, his whole fucking thing yes. is built around one fucking egg yes. ri- fried rice yes. video. And he's right. Look, at, if, you, if you do get to see Nigel Ung as, uh, in his sets, he basically does a, a brief short set first as Uncle Roger, like for about 15 minutes, and then he comes back and does a 45-minute set as himself, which is far filthier. Yeah. And I will say the wonderful thing about Nigel Ung is he has, as a straight man, done the best on-stage rendition of Bukaki that... Well, I, I'm, I'm sure he's watched enough of it. So. <laughs> He's a man of the world. Okay, so here where we go here. So once uh, in 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 your sunbeam electric fry pan, you oh my parents had one. Yeah, well, they're they're good kid. Yeah, yeah. Even yeah, even yeah, your yeah. fucking Asian parents had yes, one. Yes, you know they were here in the fucking seventies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. You, you needed yes. one, right? Yeah. Once you've done your fried your onions and your prawns and your stuff and your cabbage leaves. Four cabbage leaves, not three, not five, but four cabbage leaves. So since this serves four, that's one cabbage leaf each. So you take all that out and then you add your stock, because you've made chicken stock in here, your gourmet salt, your mixed spice and the chicken, and then you simmer it for 15 minutes. What? (laughs) 
I mean, I guess I'm used to I'm used to stir frying, so it's kind of it's, it's a lot quicker than kind of I guess. Yeah, because yeah, you're reducing the heat to medium. It's yeah. two sixty Fahrenheit, this is, which is this is not the right way to do fried rice. Two sixty. not the right way to do fried rice. In C, I mean, it doesn't even work that way. Yeah. That's like 127 degrees Celsius. It's barely boiling. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then you chuck your prawns in, and then you add add your rice and soy sauce. So you can serve it in the fry pan, or on a large platter, or on an individual plate. This is a this is, but it's if you if you're kind of simmering rice in a stock, that's a risotto. What oh, yeah, it's that's hot wet rice. It's hot wet. It's hot wet rice. Hot wet rice. Yeah. Hide the cage. Yes. <laughs> Loving, loving deadlock. Well, well, um, so you know that the Chinese actually have their own version of hot white rice. So, and what's it called? Fujian fried rice. Oh, okay. Yeah. From Fujian. Yeah, which I quite okay. enjoy, and you know, and I, it's actually making me a bit hungry right now. But I'm kind of, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just yeah. going. Oh, you're now talking. Oh, hot white <laughs> yeah, rice. Yes. <laughs> okay, but, okay. Yes, but yes, even in Chinese, you do. We, are, we are literally recording this podcast in Chinatown right yes. now. So yes, <laughs> but yes. The Chinese have their own version of, of hot white rice. That's true. And fushin rice is quite nice. I recommend it if you haven't tried it before. So. Okay. Excellent. Um, do we want to say any more about 1966 rice recipes? Probably not. We have other things to talk about. Okay. I, I will just throw in one thing, though, which I discovered when researching this episode. The person who introduced rice to Australia... And I thought, like, I looked up sun long rice, sun white rice, sun rice, all of that. I will also link to an incredibly racist TV commercial they did in the 80s. Oh, I think I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so wrong. The granny I mean, one. I mean, I mean, it was the 80s. Is it, is it, is it a not non-racist Australian TV commercial? Um, I mean, if it was about something not related to anything, I suppose it might have been. Tom Cruise and, and Lamb. <laughs> Tom Cruise and Lamb. But I want you to look up a folk, a, a guy, a link to all of this, called uh, Joe Takasuka, uh, who was born in, in Japan in 1865, and he was an MP in Japan. Interestingly, uh, but he moved to Australia in 1905 with his wife Ichikyo and, and his two kids, and he experimented with growing rice in what is now the the, the Riverland, and his visa was extended so he could do that. And in, in fact, you know, those of us of my age remember the Ord River scheme up in northern parts of Western Australia is, oh, we're going to go rice. But most Australian rice is grown in the Riverland. He was the first person to grow rice there. Turns out, uh, as I say, his name was uh, Takasuka-san. Takasuka rice turned out to be not viable in the Australian conditions, uh, but others. His story is fascinating. I'll, I'll link to that. Um, but, but yeah, yeah. I, I did enjoy... That uh, the Sunrise conglomerate still is trying to trace their ancestry to this one Japanese guy, and it's going to go. Okay, so he came here in 1905, and then suddenly there's half a century a gap. It's like, oh, we're a big <laughs> rice growing region, and I think we're missing a bit in the middle. Mm. But we'll come back to that.
it's about halfway through this bullshit podcast. You know what happens now. I do the housekeeping. So, important facts. When is the next episode? Uh, I'm not sure. Stay tuned. Uh, the Public House Forum, I told you the other day that I've had to push that back. I'm thinking maybe... 22nd of July, a Saturday, I, I do need a couple of weeks run up to that and quite frankly, um, they take a lot more work uh, than the kind of bullshit I'm doing now, so I, I need to balance that around to other things. Um, you may have noticed on the feed that there was a little pilot episode of Rhymes with Sasquatch not Sasquatch, which ruined the joke. Um, but I am really wanting to know what you think about those episodes and, and other ideas. So please go to the 9pmedic.com slash the survey to do the survey. Really easy. The 9pmedic.com slash the survey. As you know, this podcast is supported by you, the generous listener. Um, uh, thank you to everyone, as always. Thank you, especially this episode, to Phil Koenig over in Adelaide, who renewed his Edict 02 Schooner annual subscription the other day. Those annual ones really kick in. It's quite nice. Uh, if you would like to join Phil Koenig... Uh, and other such people, please go to the 9pmedict.com slash tip. That's the 9pmedict.com slash tip. Fuck, where did I put it? What? What, the trigger word thing? I don't know. I had it in my hand. Oh, there. Lovely. <laughs> Old age. Time for some trigger words. As regular listeners to the pod will know, uh, this is not the glass jar of transparency containing folded up pieces of paper. It is the chemist's warehouse plastic bag of translucency, one of the quality props for this podcast. It contains folded up pieces of paper. Each piece of paper... Uh, has a word written on it, sent in by a supporter, in the hope that it will trigger a conversation. And hey, hey, Snarky, don't look so doubtful. This is this is a fucking awesome segment. <laughs> People paid for it, so it better be. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. People. It, he was just shaking his head in doubt. Okay, first one out. From Paris, Lord Burek, B U R E K. What? Okay. <laughs> All right. No, no, I know what Burek is, but I'm going to get the actual proper definition out. Uh, or Burek, Burek is a family of pastries or pies found in the Balkans, Middle East, and Central Asia. Right. The pastry is made of a thin, flaky dough such as phyllo with a variety of fillings such as meat, cheese, spinach or potatoes. So the question I have is since it does originate in Turkey, Turkey, Turkey I, I've still not learned how to pronounce it, sorry to my Turkish friends, and in the Ottoman Empire, what is the difference between Birek and what all those old women sell, uh, Goslam. 
Yes. Which is also Turkish. Yes. And as far as I can tell, this is much thicker and more pastry pie-like as opposed to a pancake-like thing. It's like a quiche. No, 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 no. Um, I mean, you can come around here and look at pictures. You've got a long cable there. You can yes, come I and do. look. Ah, oh, this is such excellent production. Okay, here we go. This. Okay, this is this is Birin. So it's pie. Yeah, it is a little bit like a quiche. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not quite, but well, close, a, key, a quiche close. has an open top. A quiche is yeah, a tart. I know. Yeah, I know, but I mean, it's it's got a it's got a closed top, but it, but just the texture looks quiche-ish. Well, it's filo-ish. Yeah, it's that kind of pastry. And admittedly, when we look at this cheese and spinach burek, I'm looking like if you just took the top off, that's a cheese and spinach quiche, isn't it? Yeah, but I just want to understand, I guess, kind of the cultural background a little bit better. So it's Central Asian and Central European at the same time, or what's kind of what's happening here? Uh, so- let's click through to the wonderful Wikipedia. Uh, it's found in Balkans, Middle East, and Central Asia. Uh-huh. Origin and names: Beric is the form used in the countries of the former Yugoslavia. Blah 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 blah. Beric may have its origins in Persian or Turkish cuisine, and may be one of its most. Oh. So I mean Ottoman influence, right? Because the Ottomans, the Ottomans actually kind of owned the Balkans at some oh, stage. They, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, you you, you kind of remember the Balkan yeah. War when well, you, you were young, but the Balkan <laughs> War of the nineties—that was literally between the Christian and Muslim bits yes. of the Balkans. Yes. That is literally the Middle Ages continued <laughs> into the okay, 1990s. Okay, okay, but so ultimately, it's of Central Asian origin. That's that, that would be my interpretation. So. I mean, all I want to say now is the the descriptions being appearing on this Wikipedia page. They all look fucking yummy. They do, and like, <laughs> oh, we're in Sydney. We're in Sydney, where we can buy them. <laughs> I, I mean, well, here we are, Leichhardt, Rockdale, Deep, like, right. every fucking where you can get Burke anywhere, like lots of places. So there is an Indonesian Indonesian, I guess, snack or it's called called Matapak, and it kind of it looks kind of similar, but. Really, uh, a pastry uh, thing from Indonesia? Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, obviously there are a lot of pastry things because the, the Dutch invaded Indonesia, obviously. But um, but um, oh, that's right. Yes, they but, so they did. But but martabak is actually a thing that exists outside of, of of colonial food culture. That's my understanding. The martabak, yes, and martabak can be savoury or sweet, but it, it is kind of a pastryish kind of thing. But okay, yeah. Well, but I, I don't know if it's really exactly the same, but that's. Just what came to mind. Well, we need to find. Um, dear listener, um, we are butchering this explanation because neither <laughs> of us really knows what, what we're doing. <laughs> They're just pies. Everything's a pie. Justin Warren, if you're listening, in your taxonomy of baked goods, is burek a pie or is it a quiche? Well, it's not a sandwich. So. <laughs> it's definitely not a sandwich. There's no bread involved here. Okay, um, that's a lot. So thank you. Um Thank you, Paris. Uh, Paris Lord, we've learnt something there. Ah, oh, from Sheepy, who's a regular contributor and a wonderful old person. Puppy break. What? Uh, I I know what puppy break means. Well, 
explain, please. That's when you've had such a stressful day yeah. that you're just going to go onto Twitter or your social media channel of choice and look at pictures of puppies. You're having a puppy break. I'll be honest, kind of, I don't really understand this kind of look, this Twitter habit look of looking at furry animals. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm a pseudo-platypus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where this is going. Um, but but people like looking at cute animals. What's wrong with that? Well, I actually have considered posting a picture of like a daily platypus. A daily platypus. Yeah, yeah there but, are bots out there. There's hourly. Yeah, but hourly fucking quackers. That the, shits but me. But the problem is, is that there are not enough enough pictures of platypuses to last. <laughs> I know, beyond quite- a few months, so <laughs> that's part of the problem. So. Uh, yeah, you could do it a daily one. You don't have to do it hourly. No, even daily it's going to be kind of a yeah, problem. Yeah, there are not many really good photos the of platypus. So maybe weekly, monthly, but a weekly platypus wouldn't really work, would it? So, so here's a theory. It has been discovered that platypus fur glows under ultraviolet light. Ah, yes. Do you have a theory for why this is? Well, they're just, they're just Raver fabulous. kids. It's just fabulous. It's just fabulous. <laughs> I have been dealing with a puppy break up in the Blue Mountains oh, yes. recently where I am because the uh, the folks that own Bungeree Cottages uh, where I live uh, have, have adopted a puppy which is half golden retriever, half husky, and he's an idiot. He's <laughs> just... Idiot dog. I mean, I mean, he's a gorgeous idiot. He's a really <laughs> gorgeous, fucking he's gorgeous. A gorgeous idiot. He's <laughs> yes. a gorgeous idiot. I mean, I'm not a big dog person myself normally, but he's a gorgeous idiot. So. Okay, so hang on. I'm going to check this out because I forgot to say that when people are going to the 9pmedic.com slash the survey, I've been watching that and, and one of the questions is just simply. Dog or cat, right? Dog yes. or cat yes. or cat or dog. Currently, the voting is Fifty three percent dog, forty seven percent cat. Well, it's quite, quite relatively quite balanced. Even, quite even. Yeah. Quite even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's interesting. Um, and one of the others, this surprised me. I ask half full or half empty, and currently it's sixty seven percent half full, thirty three percent half empty. But interestingly. That changed. It kicked off. The people who responded earlier were more likely to say half empty. Oh, right. Okay. And I, I think there's a theory in that right. somehow. Um, but, yes, Charlie is the name of the dog. i post links to the picture. It, he's an idiot. He's gorgeous. He's a fucking gorgeous little oh, puppy. It's inevitable given his genetics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I know people like that too. So. <laughs> You know, they're, they're gorgeous but stupid. Stupid. <laughs> stupid. I think we need to do one more because that went so well. Yeah. I hope people feel they're getting their money's worth here. Uh, I mean, to be honest, I don't think they care whether they yeah. do or don't. Okay. From Gavin Costello. Oh, yes. Yes. Wide body. Wide body. Okay, so that is, and I think what he means is that's a technical term meaning an airliner with two aisles rather than an airliner with a one aisle. So something like, uh, 
you know, a seven, Boeing 747 or an Airbus 380 that has two aisles is 10 seats across as opposed to a 737 or something that only I mean, is on a single I mean, aisle. I mean, I could, I could give aircraft your opinion, but I don't know how informed they'd be, but... But, but I mean, I mean, mate, I mean, mate, I mean, a lot I mean, of people post a, aircraft yes, field pigeons yes, and they have and not. It's, it's a shit posting podcast. So it is. It is. So <laughs> please, Snarky, your field pigeons on airliners. I mean, <laughs> you don't really have any, do you? Well, I do, but kind of, they need to be redesigned. I think generally, it's my opinion, kind of like Why? what? What's what's missing from airliners? They're a thing. They've settled yeah. into a design pattern. I mean, they're designed obviously for the needs of the provider, right? Not the economy. Of, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. It's all I, about yeah, shoving in those consumers into those seats, which is perfectly fine, I guess. Given yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's but, and that's why airline schedules are based around not. The fastest way to get yeah. there, but the most economical, fuel efficient yeah. way to get there, and and I can tell a story about that. If I you mean, like. I mean personally, but personally, kind of like you know, um, to me, kind of this shouldn't matter. I mean, kind of, I mean, my personal way of traveling is kind of, you just knock me out when we take off, and when we and when we land, you just kind of bring me back to consciousness, kind of like. <laughs> okay, there, there has been a theory, yeah. I, well, a theory proposal. I don't know, but. I mean, cabin crew would completely love everyone to just be unconscious and you pack them in and they can just sit at the back gossiping. Um, I mean, it's win-win, isn't it? Kind of like who, I mean, you get to watch, I guess, media on an aircraft, but kind of like it's kind of they edit the movie sometimes on the aircraft. It's kind of like, like you know, take out the dirty bits. Yeah, or, kind of, or if you're on a, a Gulf State yeah, airline, they yeah. take out so much. Yeah, and like who enjoys aeroplane food? I mean, I know people do, to be honest, but kind of, um, it's not. And I know people that, well, well, if you're in cattle class, it's a bit grim. And like, I, I have been, you know, upstairs on Thai airways and um, I mean, I mean, it's I've, quite nice. I've been on business class, like, you know, um, um, I'd would, I would recommend Swiss Air business class if you ever actually. Swiss Air yeah, business yes, class? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, they're quite, they're quite good. Why <laughs> were you flying Swiss Air business class? Because you had points. No, because, um, well, this was after I was made redundant Last decade. Uh, ah, yes. Oh, yes. The yes. platypus did work in the uh, the very glamorous financial services industry <laughs> and got a redundancy payout and then spent the next year swanning around like a cunt. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> and just, and we'll say I actually offered discounts on their actual, like, you know, yeah, on their around the world trips. So kind All right. Of, yep. Fair point. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, the food kind of, I mean, like, who enjoys airplane food? I mean, like, think what airlines is above average, but, but, Mm-hmm. The rest. Ties are right. Yeah, I've not experienced Thai that much. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was a thing because I went to a conference in Chiang Mai yeah. and, and someone else was paying. And the conference, one of their sponsors was the Thai Tourism Authority. So they made sure all the journalists coming from other countries flew business class. So mm. the TTA was paying for all of that. And that's really quite nice. I guess my point is kind of like, who really enjoys flying, really, as an experience? I, I know some people do. Okay, okay. so there's two parts to that. Yep. There's flying as in being a passenger in the back, yeah. and there's flying as being up front either as the pilot or a friend of the pilot. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, obviously that's entirely different, but yeah. kind of, but, but as a consumer, buying a flight, kind of like, you know, kind of, um, at least to me it's kind of like, you know, as long as they do it, I guess. They're a bus with wings. What? 
They're a bus with wings. Yeah, like, you know, like, you know, knock me out. <laughs> well, this was the thing. You know, there, there was there was an idea that you'd put put everyone into cryo storage. Well, you were even in cryo storage. <laughs> Don't even bend those. God. It's not that they're complicated. <laughs> Can it all be fixed with benzos, boys and girls? That is is a wonderful thing. Well, we are talking today on the podcast. This podcast is called The 9pm Edict. And my special guest, as you know, because you've been listening, is Snarky Platypus, the inventor of the Zantini. Yes, which I've never tried, unfortunately, but it's good in theory. (laughs) Martini with Xanax in it. That could turn out very, very badly. Elephant stamp time. Elephant stamp time. In many episodes of this podcast, we award elephant stamps of approval for excellence in the category of thinking. And I have one today. And because Snarky is here, I've invited him to choose one as well. But I'm going to go first. Mm-hmm. From yesterday, in fact, Cap Gemini, the I. Cap It's an IT consulting firm. They do yes. stuff for corporate clients. According to a quote study, unquote, 72% of Australians trust generative AI. Uh, and I'll, I've got a link to the whole thing. Uh, the, <sighs> the methodology is shit, can I just say? And I have many questions. But but they reckon that the majority of Australians are aware of generative AI, 52%, and, and have explored things like ChatGPT and DAL-E, the graphics one. And only one in seven Australians is neither aware of nor exploring such things. And yet they then claim that 67% of Australian consumers think medical opinions or suggestions from generative AI would be helpful. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so half people are not aware, but most people, yeah, I'll trust that, even if they're not aware of it. I don't know how this works. Um, but broadly what they're saying, here's, here's another one, 68% so call it two-thirds, of Australian baby boomers are most likely to seek advice from generative AI tools on personal relationships or life career plans. I mean, like, I, I can believe that, but... <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with these people? I mean, they're, you know, the boomers, you know, kind of. <laughs> you know, you have stabbers from overseas. Can I, can, port- I, can I just say, there is a boomer in the room yeah, well, you know, kind of life is hard. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you have boomers taking calls from overseas scammers, kind of. Um, uh, author- yeah, yeah, I mean, you've the story's been on ABC, right? But, um, yes, kind of authorising transactions, kind of. It's not actually kind of like, you know, like kind of, like, yeah, kind of. She gave permission to these scammers, authorised all of their transactions and allow them to transfer money from her account to theirs and kind of it's not actually a scam as such because kind of I mean they didn't con her in a way but kind of um well they did yeah they did just yeah. very easily and very yeah. successfully yes hello 
I'm a stranger. You have a problem with your bank. Please give me your password so yes. I can yes. sort it out. But Who the bank, you? But they literally managed to bypass all the security measures that the bank put in place because of this boomer who kind of fell for it and kind of, you know, it happens. Well, but. this is the whole thing, and I, I know the story you mean. I'll look it up. I'll link to it. But that was the whole thing. Oh, this is the bank's <laughs> fault. Yeah. And it's like, no, you literally authorised yeah. the bank to do these yeah. transactions. All that said, in in the corporate or BEC, it's called in uh, business email compromise, and, and there's another name for it, which I forget just now because I haven't been doing reportage on the cybers for God nearly a year now. It is it is huge, and the story I love from this is that in an Australian company, um, uh, an executive's EA got an email to say, okay, all this has got to happen, all this is money has got to go through here. And the reason she thought it was suspicious is that when her boss was on holidays and emailing in, he was normally never that polite. Like they, they'd they got into the corporate email and copied his style, but she just went, he never has all this polite preamble. He just orders me about, and that's when... <laughs> That's when she decided to give him a phone he was, call. He was enough of a cunt. <laughs> An Australian businessman being a cunt to his executive assistant. That never happens. Never happens. But, yeah, a lot of this stuff happens um, uh, in the mining industry. In fact, uh, my information's a little bit out of date now, but, but most – of the largest of these uh, transactions, which have clocked over a million dollars in a single thing now, uh, we're in the mining industry, where, where, of course, executives in the mining industry are the most woke business people in Australia. Gina, you know, she's like, she's Gina's woke. Yeah, she's so woke, you know, kind of, you know, she withdrew netball sponsorship because um. Because um, an indigenous that's Australian right. Because Nepal Australia ran an indigenous round or no something. no no because um an indigenous Australian star player kind of questioned the sponsorship ah oh, from Gina Reinhardt yes. um the, the the richest woman in Australia richest person I think now in Australia isn't I think it? so yeah, yes. yeah, yeah one of the richest yes, yes. women mining magnate um because her father was an extremely racist mining developer in Western Australia. Yeah. Yep. And and she, from all accounts, is an appalling human being. Just ask her children. Yeah, exactly. That, that's pretty much where we're getting that from. Um, do we want to get ChatGPT to help us solve some comma boomer, common boomer problems or should we move on? I think we should move on, but I mean, okay. I mean kind of, I mean, it would, but I would just comment that it would, it would take the pressure off the boomers' children. <laughs> if, if they got chat GPT. Yeah. Okay, we'll come back to chat GPT in a moment. Uh, but you have an elephant uh, – oh, there we go, an elephant stamp for excellence, et cetera, to, to whatever it was that I just said. Cap Gemini. Yes. No, so, uh, humans, Australia. Yes. Um, yours, it says here, 15-minute city is a working-class nightmare. Yes, so um, uh, I assume British because it's a British publication. But I don't, the I don't know statesman. Yeah, Michael Lind. Michael Lind. Yes. He stated that 15 minutes, 
it is. Um, I'm not sure if all your listeners know the concept, but you can look it up quite easily. But essentially, oh, I can explain it. Yeah. Would you like me to explain sure. it? Explain it. Okay. The idea of a 15 minute city is that everything you need day to day should be within a 15 minute walk of where you live. So going down for milk, going to the post office. What's a post office? Um, <laughs> to see a doctor, your school. Um, all that day-to-day amenities, stuff. Amenities. Amenities. Amenities should be yeah. within 15 yeah. minutes. Now, stuff you need less often, uh, sure, yeah. further away, you go to whatever. Um, and the idea is that would reduce car use, that would reduce a whole lot of things. And the argument is made that that's how a century ago, that's how neighbourhoods and small towns were built. And I will link to another video by Adam something um, that's that's his YouTube handle, Adam something. I think he has a complicated European surname. Um, pointing out that, of course, the big American-style shopping mall, the mega mall that you have to drive to because it's just this big concrete box in several hectares of asphalt parking space and the, the only way to get there is dry, to drive is a terrible thing. So that's the antithesis yeah. of the 15-minute yeah. city. But here is Michael Lynn's uh, headline in the New Statesman. The 15-minute city is a working-class nightmare. A car-free lifestyle is only possible for those whose profession and income permit it. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, there are, so there are a couple of problems with this. So, firstly, um, so... There's a tweet that we can link to about this, but kind of um, well, car and, and ownership. Which we have. Shall yeah. I? I'll get that up. You yeah. talk. I'll yeah. get that. Car ownership is strongly correlated with, uh, you know, wealth, right? Well, yeah. Cars are not cheap. Yes. Right. Yes. And and this is British statistics, but yes, kind of yes. The higher your income or wealth is, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's wealth actually, but um, no income. It is income. The higher your income is, kind of, the more likely you are to have a car, and if your income is like. 10k pounds a year or less, you actually, it's less than 50% chance of actually having access to a vehicle. So it's I kind have of, the figures in front yeah. of me, and if your income is less than 10,000 pounds a year, there's a 29% yeah. chance you have a car. Less than 15,043. But if you've got more than 100,000 pounds income a year, 83% chance of the household yeah. has a car. So, so Lind argues that. This is a working class yes, night. Yes, kind of, it's class oppression, this, you know, 15-minute kind of, and, like, Toledo statistics show that cars are a, not a luxury, but kind of the richer you are, the more likely you have access to a car. So that, I guess, kind of counters his, his, his argument. But secondly, kind of, he, he runs under this assumption that, that, that car dependency is your destiny. Kind of, if you have a car... It's therefore it's inevitable that it is acceptable to commute to places. Well, this is the thing. A, you a should, car is yeah. freedom. A car yeah. is the thing. This is this is the, the the mythology that was sold to people after World War Two. Because what happened is the 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 production lines. I mean, especially in the US, but more broadly, they'd ramped up during World War Two to make stuff for the war. Jeeps, tanks, whatever, aircraft. And, of course, after that, those companies wanted to keep going and making stuff. So 
They pushed cars, they pushed freeways, they pushed the suburbs. Now, it's all interlinked. The way I've said it there sounds ridiculously simplistic, but but that's broadly what happened. And they lobbied against trams, against public transport, because cars are freedom. Yes, but uh, and he's created a straw man that kind of, um, you know, I guess reducing car dependency is class oppression. <laughs> and he, bring, <laughs> he brings up gentrification and income and blah, blah, blah. It's kind of like, like, and he uses the US as an example. I'm thinking, no, the US is an example of planning failure. It is not <laughs> kind of, it's not like Europe is actually done a lot differently. Even Australia, a lot of the inner cities are structured a lot differently. Like people want to replicate the inner cities. They don't want to replicate, you know, kind of, the burbs in the middle of nowhere. That's not something you want to replicate. And I think most planners will agree with that. And absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. And, and as I say, Adam Something's channel and a whole yep. lot of urbanist, urbanistas, their channel go, this is bullshit. I think you've missed an important point here, though, is that the 15-minute city is actually part of the globalist agenda to control our lives. Yes. <laughs> Yeah? Yes. <laughs> what? Okay, so, no, no, no. This is the thing. Okay, so I've explained the idea of a 15-minute city. Sounds good. Reduce transit. Yeah. But far-right protesters reckon that the 15-minute city is, in fact, a plan to control us. So their idea is, and, and I'm, I'm linking to a, a piece in Bloomberg, particularly about Oxford in the UK, where a couple of thousand demonstrators came up against this whole thing, that the pedestrian-friendly 15-minute city is evil because the idea was they think that the 15-minute city means you can't leave your home for more than 15 minutes at a time and if you get into a car, that will be monitored. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I should mention something about Lin's arguments. He kind of he thinks that the 15 minute city means that they will ban cars from neighbourhoods. No, no. Well, yes, and it's kind of from all my brief research about this, it's kind of like no, no one has literally suggested the banning of vehicles from neighbourhoods. But as part of this article, this no, what- the idea is to reduce the need yes. for them. And like, and, and and you mentioned this is right wing conspiracy, right? But 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 the new statement is a left wing publication, supposedly, right? It's, the new statesman <laughs> is is one of Britain's grand old left wing journal. Well, not journal, but magazines. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know. I don't know whether it's formally connected with the Labor Party or not. You can look yeah. that up for yourselves. And it's it's normally quality left wing. Political discourse. Yeah, and kind of to present, like, the concept of a 15-minute city as gentrification and a project of, like, middle-class people is very disingenuous. As you know, as we mentioned before, like, cars are, you know, <laughs> richer people own cars more often, kind of, you know. Sort of the the data doesn't back up, you know, what, what this guy is saying. So, uh, anyway. <laughs> I, I mean, you, you'll not be shocked to discover that Jordan Peterson has weighed in on this, which I love this. This Bloomberg piece describes him as a conservative self-help guru. 
Because his his book is Twelve Rules for Life or something. And why would you take advice from Jordan Peterson? Anyway, it's kind of yeah. anyway. It's yeah. It it look read that. It's just the most ridiculous thing. So, uh, who are you awarding the elephant stamp to in this sense? Is it to yeah, Michael, Michael Lind? Lind? Yeah, Michael Lind. Yeah, Michael Lind. Okay, lovely. Elephant stamp to Michael Lind. Okay, we've been going for fucking ages here. This is going to be a long podcast. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. More than 20 Sydney suburbs are to get buzzy precinct names in a $200,000 bid to boost nightlife, and that is $200,000 per precinct. Spent on what? Uh, On branding, (laughs) graphics, um, um, Photoshop files. Okay, let me let me read this kind of thing. So the idea is that um, there is an argument to say that Sydney's nightlife is fucked. I mean, oh, yes, both both because of the COVID thing and because this idea that if you're out after midnight, you're a criminal and are going to bash up children or well, well, other teenagers after, after nine pm. Really, but nine pm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Sydney's had a long problem with that stupid one-punch thing. So, um, New South Wales—I hadn't real—I'm just reading this now. New South Wales has a job called the Minister for Music and the Nighttime Economy. Hmm. His name's John Graham, and. 21 successful districts across eight local government areas will receive up to 200 grand each to coordinate their efforts and build further consumer engagement. To, to be fair, 200 grand's not a lot to that. Yeah, it's not much. Yep. Okay. Do you want to hear some of these ideas? So for Blacktown in Sydney's west, they, they're going to call Blacktown The Gathering. Magic. The Gathering. Magic Blacktown the gathering. the gathering. Magic the Gathering. That's what I think no, of. Blacktown the Gathering. Yeah, but Magic. That's what well, I think Blacktown's – okay, uh, this is this whole segment is going to be terrible for people who don't know Sydney and 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 people who don't understand Sydney outside the inner areas but, will hate it. But but, but but a lot of people would know Magic the Gathering. It's a fantasy card game, right? No, that's not what I'm objecting to. Even <laughs> even I know what yeah, Magic, Magic the, the Gathering, Gathering is. is. Yes. And I'm old and terrible. Okay, so the idea is the gathering in Blacktown has one of many exciting visions. I'm, I'm quoting the minister here. Their program aims to attract people to hundreds of events, artists and collectives, from hip-hop to the best Afghan and Filipino food to the incredible work of Solid Ground, who I forget who they are, haunted ghost tours and films like Here Out West, which I've never heard of. Uh, So it's also about amplifying and connecting existing offerings in the community. This is terrible. Okay. So some of these are fine, like Harris Park. Connecting to the Harris Park Business Association, that's near Parramatta. That's a big district for Indian people. They're thinking, yeah. well, let's just brand that as Little India. Yeah, and that was that's actually and, good. And that was widely publicised before, I think. That's kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Eastwood in the city of Ryde, they want to label Koreatown. 
Well, I mean, kind of, Eastwood, Eastwood's kind of half Korean and half Chinese. So kind of, I don't know what, because I don't know, I don't know if um, the listeners know Eastwood that well, but kind of, so it's divided into, into two sectors, essentially, I think by the railway line. So one half is Korean, one, the other half is Chinese. So kind of, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, kind of, um, it's a great place. Like, no, oh, seriously, it's a great, it's a great go to Eastwood. But, but yeah. but I think something that's career down is a little bit reductive. So. <laughs> okay, um, here's another job that I didn't know existed. Michael Rodriguez, his job is called the 24-hour economy commissioner. Yeah, but we don't have that in New South Wales, so what's the point? <laughs> yeah, if you ever tried to get food at two hours, this is the thing. <laughs> this is how, okay, I had, okay, I'm going to kick off here. But any bar or pub, in, in the CBD of Sydney really struggles because there was this idea, oh, if you get drunk after midnight, you're a violent cunt. And one bar I had had the rule, which all of these bars in the area had adopted, that after 10pm you can only buy single shots of spirits and it has to have a mixer. So <laughs> after dinner there, I'd been at, at a place I won't name um, but if you know me, you know where I was. I, I, I'd been drinking whiskey, good whiskey, and a top shelf whiskey. And then at clock ten o'clock, and I went to get another one. And so, oh no, we get, you can't. I can't just pour you a whiskey. You have to have mixer in it. And I go, what? What? It's fucking top shelf whiskey. I'm not, what? What? Fortunately, the bar manager knew me, and he said, "What's the problem?" Came over, explained. So he he poured the whiskey in the glass. And then got the uh, post mix machine and did the shortest possible squirt of soda that it is possible. Like, just. I'll do that again. There's soda. I said, there you go. That's a whiskey and soda. I thought, that's fine. Shall I read out some of these? Sure. Go 21 ahead. things. Go ahead. BAD, the Brookvale Arts District. Well, it's bad, I agree. Brookvale's bad. I've been there semi-recently. We're drinking Brookvale fucking vodka, lemon, lime and bitters from Brookvale. Yeah, I know. <laughs> let's, let, let's move on. <laughs> they they reckon the Central Station and Eddie Avenue precinct, they'll just call precinct, they'll just call Eddie. We're going down to Eddie. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, Green Square, which is a suburb that was created because they put a underground station near there and demolished a few warehouses. They want to call that Green Square, but Green Superscript 2. That is extremely literal. Yeah. Um, But they are going to use their $160,166 to, quote, establish a coordination group to engage locals, community groups and businesses who will work collaboratively to develop vibrant activations, encouraging residents to stay and play. I mean... Um, Have I you th- ever had a vibrant activation? Well, not at Green Square. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have. <laughs> I mean, 
Well, maybe in that regard. Well, in, in an yeah, apartment yeah. near Green yeah. Square. Well, yeah, well, yes, but um, well, his other half was well, overseas at the time. I'm sure so. it was. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but Green Square is literally just a bunch of apartments. They kind of um, around the station yeah, in the middle of light there might industry. Be a few restaurants there, but kind of what kind of what are you really trying to sell there? So I don't know. So you know, <laughs> well, they're, they're they're trying to sell vibrant activations. You know. Woof. Woof. Okay, so if you were going to call something the Hollywood Quarter Sydney, where would that be? HQS, Hollywood Quarter Sydney. So I have been to actual Hollywood, so I've got a comparison here. The one in the area of Los Angeles. Yes, yes. um, Hollywood. Yeah, Hollywood, yes, yes. Bojack Horseman. I mean, it would be the eastern suburbs. That would be my kind of a indication. Sure. Yeah, but um, but I don't know if like Hollywood is very is a very US concept. So kind of um, I mean um, I'll give you a clue. Yeah. Have you heard of the Hollywood Hotel in Sydney? I assume there's a bunch of hotels called Hollywood Hotel in Sydney. That's well, there's one in particular. No, I, I, I don't. You know will that. know where it is when I tell you. All right. Okay. So the Hollywood Quarter is a tiny bit of Surrey Hills between Commonwealth Street, Campbell Street and Whitworth Street in Surrey Hills. And the Hollywood Hotel is that hotel on, that would be Campbell Street. Yeah. It's an Art Deco hotel opposite the park, which is opposite the police headquarters. (laughs) Right. Okay. Yeah. So this this area, which kind of is like literally about four blocks, will be called the Hollywood Quarter. KXQ, what's that? King's Cross, my assumption. King's Cross Quarter. There you go. Uh, Paddington. They're gonna. They reckon in Paddington there will be Paddo Collective which will create branding and a multi-platform marketing campaign as as generic shit. Why do you think for marketing? Isn't that, isn't that like a pyramid scheme? I hate to think. Okay, the Rainbow Precinct. Well, fucking Taylor Square. Yep. All right. <laughs> um, uh, uh, here's one. 2077 AD. That's New Hornsby, right? That's the postcode. Yeah. Hornsby, postcode 2077. 2077 AD is Hornsby After Dark. What? <laughs> the Hornsby Chamber of Commerce and Liquor Accord will collaborate to enhance the 2077 postcode region's nighttime economy, engaging with other nighttime industries once momentum is built. <laughs> I mean... I grew up in Hornsby for context. So kind of um like what's happening here? I don't kind of um like have have all the RSLs agreed to cooperate to kind of sell cheap alcohol to locals. I don't know. Kind of the accord, like kind of it sounds kind of. Well, I think that I will look look up liquor accord. Here we go. Liquor accords of vo- yeah voluntary partnerships between the liquor industry, local and state governments, and law enforcement. I wasn't aware that this was a big issue in Hornsby. It's it's just a. Semi-formal agreement backed up by nothing in particular in relation to legislation with the sense that, well, if you don't sign up to the accord, you'll just have cops in your pub every fucking night checking you out. 
Well, I just assumed that was the case. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there we are. So, given that we um, have these suggestions for names of um, city suburbs, I decided to ask ChatGPT to sort this out for us. So, I asked. What would be some good nicknames for major Sydney suburbs which would make them attractive or more attractive as nightlife destinations? Please suggest five. So, Glowville, this nickname captures the vibrant and energetic nightlife scene of King's Cross, a popular entertainment district in Sydney. It conveys a sense of excitement and a neon-lit atmosphere. But the police have banned everyone from King's Cross. Right. Harbour <laughs> Haven for Circular Quay. Uh-huh. Jasborough for Newtown. What? Because it has numerous jazz clubs, live music venues and eclectic bars. I can think of one jazz place in Newtown, I think. This <laughs> is ch- <laughs> Well, I've linked to another thing, historical nicknames, which I won't. we won't go through in the pod, but yeah. one for Newtown is Spewtown. <laughs> well, I think it's appropriate. Anyway. Okay. Bay Bazaar for Manly, a vibrant marketplace of experiences. Well, I I don't know what drugs they're on when they went to, when they went to Manly, but that's not that's not my experience. Well, it's Manly, it's hooked. Yeah. I mean, whatever you want. Uh, or Cafe Capital for Glebe. Okay. <laughs> and then I said, how about five more, but suburbs further from the CBD. And the furthest one away was Parramatta. It went Chatswood, Balmain, Cronulla, right. Newtown. I won't bother. Although I did suggest Parramatta could be Twinkletown or Chatswood could be Starryville. Yeah, it's ChatGPT, mate. And then I said, okay, even further places to the west or southwest. So for Parramatta, Western Rhythms. I don't know how Boomers expect them expect this to give them Relationship advice with this, with this quality of naming. <laughs> well, maybe I should just hit the button and go, so how does this relate to your relationship? Okay. For Penrith, Gourmet Gateway. I mean, having been to Penrith semi recently, I can assure you that it's not the case. <laughs> oh, no, no, we have. We went and we had really good food in But Penrith. it wasn't a Gourmet Gateway. <laughs> no, it was this one really special experiment. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> For Liverpool, Revolution Row captures the area's evolving nightlife scene and urban renewal. Yeah. Uh, or for Campbelltown, Southern Soiree. <laughs> <sighs> have, have, have we given these people enough trouble already? I think we have, yes. For the magnificent snarky platypus, thank you for joining me. No worries. Shall we have some more drinks and let these people go home? We, we should, yes. Okay, goodbye. Well, that's all the edict for now. I hope you enjoyed having Snarky Platypus with us. If you'd like him to come back, in fact, if you'd like to make any other suggestions about future episodes of the podcast, please um, do my survey at the 9pmedict.com slash the survey. Not just survey, but the survey. The 9pmedict.com slash the survey. The survey. Of course, you can go to slash tip and uh, throw a few dollars into the tip jar. Uh, what else? I'm not sure. Sh- like, subscribe, all that. I'm not sure when the next episode will be, but until then, I'm still Garyan. Wash your hands. 
The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.